somewhere along the way, at some point in our lives, someone has let us down. Someone or some many have disappointed our expectations, our hopes. It's inevitable. It happens for us as individuals. And it can be an experience shared by a whole community, even a nation. Disillusionment about our national institutions and leaders, I think, has been one of the major impacts of the previous presidential administration uh, and the times that have occurred because of that. At least for white people, that's been the case. I think for the majority of black, indigenous, Latinx, Asian, many others in our country, any illusions about the fairness and strength of our institutions and leaders has long been shattered, if there were any in the beginning. But many white Americans I know uh, believed, even after Trump got elected, that our political and judicial systems and leadership would prevent any serious damage. But I also know that for myself and many of us, the past even seven to ten years leading up to it have crushed those expectations, those hopes. So whether we find ourselves currently in disillusionment, even despair, or whether it finds us again down the road, this morning's story from Luke can serve as a guide for our healing and hope. When Jesus meets up with these two walking to Emmaus, they are in profound despair. But by the time Jesus leaves them, they are so overjoyed that they immediately head back over the same seven miles they have just covered, return to the people they left in Jerusalem that afternoon, even though it's nighttime. Our circumstances may not be the same as those of the two that Jesus meets on the road, but we can learn a great deal from both the way Jesus finds them and the ways in which they respond. Whenever we are disillusioned or in despair, this story reminds us to look for the presence of Jesus in our lives. He is the one who can guide us from despair to delight. For the two on the road to Emmaus, this was a complete reversal of outlook. Our Hebrew First Testament text helps us understand the expectations that Jesus had raised in the hearts and minds of not only the two he meets on the road to Emmaus, but all of his disciples. These words from Isaiah form part of a vision that many Jewish people had of the anointed one who would come in the name of God to liberate God's people from oppression. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Comfort all who mourn, etc. Go on. It goes on like that. In fact, the first time that Jesus 
was ever invited to speak in a formal setting, these were the words of Scripture that he read aloud. This passage. He read it, closed the, the roll, sat down and said, Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. Jesus was essentially announcing, This is me. I'm here. The one you've been waiting for. He was announcing that he was God's anointed one. In Hebrew, the Messiah. In Greek, the Christ. Over the next few years after that public announcement, a lot of people came to believe exactly that, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. But part of that expectation Israel had of the Messiah was that he would lead the nation in an armed revolution, violent overthrow. He would defeat the Roman occupiers and retake the throne of the king David. So the vision Israel had for God's anointed one was both that he would bring compassion and healing for the Jewish people themselves who had been suffering, and that he would bring power and vengeance to bear against the foreign oppressors and their own corrupt leaders. But that didn't happen. The exact opposite happened. Jesus got arrested by the Roman authorities. He was beaten and humiliated and didn't fight back at all. In fact, he stopped his own disciples from fighting back. And then worst of all, they executed him by nailing his body to a wooden cross with other criminals. He did not heroically overthrow the Roman oppressors. They crushed him like every other rebel. This is not at all what any of his followers had expected. They had put huge hopes in him for themselves and for their entire nation. All these expectations were slaughtered and buried in a tomb with Jesus. His followers were devastated. Many were probably in literal shock. This is all part of the anguish and the deep despair that we hear in the words of the two disciples who are broken. They say in verses 20 and following, The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to the Romans to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. William Barclay writes, the whole situation seems to these two to have no explanation. Their hopes and dreams were shattered. There is all the poignant, wistful, bewildered regret in the world in their sorrowing words. We were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem and rescue Israel. So it really shouldn't be that much of a surprise to us that 
skipped that. And I doubt he would have thought, no, maybe he didn't have his glasses with him at the time. He intentionally skipped over that part because he knew it, it would mislead their understanding of who he was. From the very beginning, Jesus was trying to teach us, us even, that God's way is the way of sacrificial love. Jesus revealed this truth from the Hebrew Bible, which was the only Bible at the time, to the two traveling on the road to Emmaus. And finally then, he joined them in their home for a meal. And of course, we read, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them, and then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. Some commentators uh, think that this scene is supposed to remind us of the Lord's Supper. But I agree with those who think that it was just a plain old meal, in, in part because there's no mention of the cup, of the wine. But as Justo uh, Gonzalez puts it, um, it has been said that Jesus seems to eat his way through the gospel, according to Luke. For he is frequently depicted at a meal. It reminded me of uh, Brad Pitt, and I think it's Ocean's 13. It might have been 12. But in, in one of those two, almost every scene that he's in, he's eating something. It's just hysterical. In Luke's gospel, Jesus spends so much time with people eating and around a table sharing a meal that his simple giving thanks and breaking bread that simple but similar moment triggered an awareness in the disciples that it was Jesus in their presence. And there was a reversal from do despair to delight is complete. So much so that even though it's nighttime, remember they had said, come join us because it's nighttime, you don't want to be on the road. Even though it was nighttime by the time this all occurred, they hop up and scurry, I guess, if you can scurry for seven miles, but they head all the way back to Jerusalem to share their joy with their friends. This story overflows with wisdom to help us throughout our lives. N.T. Wright sees in this story an outline of how many of us, many people, become aware of Jesus in the first place. He writes, of course, it's both as a story, it's a wonderful, unique, spellbinding tale, and also a model, and surely Luke knew this, for a great deal of what being a Christian from that day to this is all about. The slow, sad dismay at the failure of human hopes. The turning to someone who might or might not help. The discovery that in Scripture, all unexpected, there lay keys which might unlock the central mysteries and enable us to find truth. The sudden realization of Jesus himself present with us, warming our hearts with his truth, showing us himself as bread broken. This describes the experience of innumerable Christians. As I mentioned at the start, I believe this story can continue to be a model for us in times especially of despair and disappointment. 
When we have those experiences of, as Wright puts it, slow, sad dismay at the failure of human hopes. When we have those moments, this story reminds us that Jesus is already with us. Often we are not aware of this. In fact, that feeling of being abandoned by God, specifically, may even be a part of our despair. But Christ has sought us out. Christ is present with us always, no matter where we are. Jesus seeks us out, and Jesus finds us where we are. And the story encourages us to be aware of those people and voices in our lives who seem to be speaking truth or love. It may be God engaging us or trying to engage us. Even more so, this story reminds us of how important it is to read Scripture. That is often how Jesus reaches our hearts. As the two travelers reflected, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It doesn't always happen. A lot of times there's no spark. The scriptures without a sense of the Spirit are empty. But if we take our time to let the Scripture and the Spirit seep in, we will often get a flash of recognition of life, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit engaging us. The witness of Christian history is that this burning, this strange warmth, happens primarily through Scriptures. And the story also encourages us to look for Christ elsewhere and everywhere. Jesus may make himself apparent during worship in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning, but just as, it's just as likely to happen in a conversation at coffee hour after the service, or walking the dog at night before going to bed, or stuck in traffic on I-5. Or having tea with a friend on a gray, rainy Tuesday. Which could be pretty much any time of the year. <laughs> Jesus is present with us always. Recognition of him can happen anywhere. The one final essential step in Christ guiding us through disappointment and despair and into delight is inviting him into our lives. In our story of the two on the road to Emmaus, we hear them say as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus has acted, acted as if he were going farther. We don't know for sure what would have happened if they just let him go. He probably would have gone elsewhere. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. Day is almost over. And so he went in with them. We hear something similar in our New Testament passage. Look at me. I stand at the door. I knock. If you hear my call and open the door, I'll come right in and sit down 
let's suffer with you. Jesus never bullies his way into our lives. His love waits for our invitation. Disappointment, even despair, inevitably finds each of us. But so does Jesus. Jesus is present with us always, even when our eyes aren't seeing Him clearly. Whenever we find ourselves on the road that seems to be heading away from our broken hopes, may we remember to invite Jesus into our lives and then keep our eyes open. He promises that He has come to comfort all who mourn. 